Enjoy. We're going to bring out some suicide stats here. We ready? Okay. We have got approximately 3,000 Australians per year that die from suicide. That's around nine souls a day, and it's actually about twice the, um, the road toll. Uh, yeah, it is a lot. Our community here in Caboolture, you know, Rachel just said that she's, you know, she's sick of this community being under it, like it's actually time we come back on top. But we do have, at this present time, a higher rate compared to other um, areas in our nation. Attempted suicides, they sit at around 65,000 per year. Suicide is the leading cause of death for those aged between 15 and 44. 75% of people who commit suicide are male. Our suicide rates between Torres Strait Islander people and Aboriginals are twice as high, and our LGTB community, their members suggest that they're up to 10 times more likely to take their own life. The impact of suicide reaches approximately 135 members in our community. That's your family, your friends, first responders. This whole concept of they'll be better off without me is a lie. It's a lie. All right. So it's a big topic. <laughs> it's, a, it's a large topic, and I'm not going to be able to cover every area and you might even just go, how can you read a statement like that and stand there with a smile on your face? Because church, I know the answer. <laughs> we know the answer. We have Jesus. He's actually our hope of the world. And so my title of the message this morning is Jesus, Hope of the World. So here we go. I've got three points that I'm going to run uh, over with you this morning. The number one is what happens. Number two is Jesus, hope of the world. And number three, we're going to be talking about grief, about grieving in hope or grieving with lost hope. So here we go. What is the question that everyone wants answered? Is what happens? What happens when someone commits suicide? Do they go to heaven or do they go to hell? It's a big question. I've looked at the, the biblical arguments for this, I really have, and people who argue that people who commit suicide go straight to heaven, if I'm being truthful here, it's a weak argument. It's a weak argument. It's usually centered in this whole concept of once saved, always saved, which is just biblically flawed to its core. And if you have a problem with that and want to talk that out, come and see me after the service. I'm going to direct you straight to my husband. <laughs> I am not going down that rabbit hole this morning. <laughs> it's a weak argument. The argument that if you commit suicide that you go straight to hell, it's a weak argument. It's a really weak argument. You know, it's, uh, it's full of vitality and it's full of passion. But again, it's usually people taking scripture and concepts from scripture out of their context and using it to support their bias. I'm going to just come around the word of God. really love that book. Um, 
And I'm just going to pull out, you know, what the Bible does say a little bit around this subject and what I believe are related elements to it. So we're going to start, ew, where are we? I've lost my page already. It's not good. I'm going to start with number one that suicide in Mark 3.28 is not listed as an unforgivable sin. So in Mark 3.28, it talks about there being an unforgettable sin, which is um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Suicide is not listed as an unforgivable sin. Number two, I want to bring up Isaiah 7.16, and it reads there, Moreover, before the child knows how to refuse evil and choose good. Now, This particular scripture, scholars would argue that that means that there appears to be an age of accountability for your actions, that somewhere within the cycle of of a child that there is this age of accountability. (laughs) The Hebrew word there is naher, and it means boy or girl, um, youth or scattered ones. It's actually where we get the name scatterbrain from. But here's the thing. Historically speaking, biblically speaking, and medically speaking, it is plausible. Can we please all repeat after me the word plausible? Plausible. So this is not concrete. This is plausible. That anything up to the age of approximately 25 years old are considered this nahea. They're considered outside the age of accountability. So in Genesis 32, it uses the same word for child. It uh, says naher. And the context is talking about Joseph, who at the time was 17 years old. In Exodus 33, it looks like Joshua was also called naher. And it looks like he was actually in his early 20s. And then we back this up again in Numbers 32, where it says that all of the people who were older, who were more mature, um, this is at the time when the Israelites were being punished by God and God said, you're not allowed to go into the promised land. No one here from this generation is going to be allowed to go. And all of the people over 20, none of them got to go. They all felt the full wrath of God. Everyone under 20 was allowed to go and enter. And so, look, even in medically speaking, I think here we've got to hear the National Library of Science, it talks about the fact that the brain doesn't actually reach full maturity until approximately 25 years of age, some even higher. So it is plausible, not concrete, but it's plausible that people under the age of 25 years aren't actually at their full maturity in their brain and thus might not be considered to be at the age of accountability. Third thing I just want to bring up this morning is that there are six recorded suicides in Scripture, not counting Samson. It's interesting when you read these stories how the Bible talks about them. So you've got a couple of people in there, they were absolutely known for their wickedness, they were bad guys. (laughs) But then you've got another couple that they were known for the wicked things that they did, but they weren't actually called wicked. And there was one person in there who committed suicide. He wasn't recorded for his wicked acts or wickedness at all. And that was Saul's armor bearer. 
So I just, I found that really interesting in scripture. And you might be listening to me this morning and going, Rachel, you've just raised more questions than what you've answered. <laughs> well done, great job, you're doing awesome. I know, but that's because ultimately, guys, we don't know. We don't know. And if I'm being really honest, I like that we don't know. Because that kind of authority only belongs to God. It only belongs to him. It's so personal and it's so individual. You might sit back here and go, I know for sure that they've gone to heaven. You don't know that. I know for sure they've definitely gone to hell. You don't know that either. This kind of authority belongs to no one else but God. But when I think about these things and, and that might fill you with fear, I'm led to be filled with hope when I understand the nature of our God. So which brings me to point two, is that Jesus is the hope of the world. In Romans 15, 13, it says, May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. It's as we trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the hope of the world. He is the hope in the world. And he can be the hope of our world if we just allow him. You see, John cleared up for us last week in his message that Jesus really is God. If you missed it, you can catch it on Podbean. And his, his nature, he is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's, all, he's omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He is good. His nature is good. He is wisdom. He is 100% mercy, but he is also 100% holy, which means that when someone dies, he is 100% just. Whatever happens, it's 100% just. Now, in Deuteronomy 32.4, it reads, His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He is just and he is sovereign. In 1 Peter 1.3, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is good news this morning. Because he really is the God of hope. Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the hope in the world. And he can be the hope of our worlds if we just allowed him. He really is God. And I've been thinking about this. You know, if we as a people just understood this, we wouldn't even need an elephant in the room series. If we just understood our position and his position... If we understood that he is the sovereign, we're the subjects. That he is the father, we're the child. That he is the potter, we're the clay. That he is God, and we're not the gods. But people just love to buck at this. They just want to be their own God. They just want to be their own God. Yeah, he actually wants... He wants the best for you. 
He doesn't just, he's not just capable of helping you. You know that song that was talking about he can do anything. We can do anything with him. He he does not just able to help you. Did you know this morning that he wants to help you? He wants to come alongside us and help us through everything. Jeremiah 29, 11, it reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is the God that we serve. This is the Jesus I'm speaking about. This is Jesus, the living hope of the world, the hope in the world, and the hope of our worlds when we just allow him. See, Pastor Graham actually, he preached a great two-part message in this series called The Chosen Choose. There is an invitation from Jesus, but we have to choose him back. We have to choose him back. It doesn't take that much from us, it's just a simple yes. Your world can be so messy, so disgusting, filled with shame, filled with guilt. It's like, a, you know, has anyone got teenagers here? I've got teenagers. Sometimes you want to go and walk into their bedroom, you open the door and go, oh, I'm not going in there. But God, no matter how messy that bedroom is, it's like, it's all right, I'm going to come alongside here. All you've got to do is say the yes, and he gets right in there with you in the mess, and he walks with you. He wants to do it with you. Which is why I, I want to bring up this, this next point. I'm going to touch on grief this morning because grieving hits all of us um, here at different times in our life, some more than others and some differently than others. So the trick is to actually grieve in hope. So the point here is grieving in hope or grieving with lost hope. So we're going to bring up um, on the screen the symptoms of grieving. And I just want to talk you through these this morning. We've got, they are continually thinking about the losses that have occurred, wishing that it were all different, being afraid that you're going crazy, being unable to function in normal activities, feeling that time is suspended or altered, a minute can feel like a day, a day can feel like a minute, crying, being angry, feeling shame, feeling hopeless, feeling that life isn't real, feeling aimless, feeling lost, and wanting to bargain. These are signs that you might be grieving. A grieving process, it's perfectly normal. It's perfectly normal, but the key word there is it's a process. This is something that we come through. You know that scripture in Psalms 23, it says, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's a walk. In your mess, in your sorrow, in your grief, whatever you're going through, it's not a run. And God says in that Psalm, I'm gonna walk with you. I will fear no evil for you walk beside me. It's just a walk, but it's something that we walk through. So here we've got, we've got two ways to grieve. And we're just going to bring up on the screen a picture that if you look at it too long, it might give you a headache. It did with me when I looked at it the first time. You might not get a lot out of this in this moment, but I would encourage you, if you find that this is something you want to understand a little bit, take a photo of this um, now. 
or you can come and see me after the service and I can email um, this through to you. But we're just going to move uh, to the next slide where it talks. Um, it's got two of these areas here that are circled. And I want to speak about them this morning. Um, this is the two ways to grieve. So we can grieve in hope or we can grieve with no hope. And so on this top uh, part here that's circled, it says that there is a struggle to find ultimate purpose. And in the bottom layer here, it says there is a complete loss of meaning and hope, an empty life. So if you are in a situation here this morning where you are struggling to find meaning or hope in your grief, you're doing awesome. You're doing awesome. I mean, honestly, you can talk to the person next to you and say, this is a weird message. <laughs> Why would I say that? If you are struggling in your hope and if you're struggling to find reason for everything, keep the struggle up until you find it. You're actually on a fantastic path. You can do this with Jesus. This is perfectly normal. Grief is perfectly normal. At times, this is going to feel in your head like you're going crazy. That's what it feels like when you're stuck in this place. You're not going crazy. You're just grieving, friend. It's okay. Discouragement, discouragement is just a state. Discouraged is just a state. It's not your true self. You see, God calls us to be more than conquerors, to overcome gets right down here and he helps us to do that. We can do anything. We can come through any circumstance with God. Anything. You know, Stephen Furtick, he actually uh, talks about disappointment. That while it's really not a lovely thing to experience or go through, it's, it's kind of the necessary flip side to hope. Think it through. If you've got hoping for something, it's usually because there has been a disappointment. It's this unfortunate, necessary flip side to hope. You know, sometimes you'll hear me say, um, oh, I've said it before, that great days only get their definition because you've had a few less than average ones thrown in there. You know, so with those few less than average days, we've got to direct ourselves in this grief journey and center it in hope until we're giving those great days their definition. And this is how we do it. We walk it through until we get to that definition. You know, we don't soar on eagle's wings unless we've had to come from somewhere. It's usually a lower place. It's okay. If you are finding yourself in this grieving situation and you're struggling to find that purpose and that meaning, I want to bring some scriptures up on the board here. Muses, if you could come and join me, that would be amazing. So I'm going to start in Proverbs 23, where it says, There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Isaiah 40, 31, for, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the Bible speaking. We can, we can land on this. We can build our lives from here. 
I would encourage you to take a photo and read over these scriptures. Start your morning with them. Go to bed with them on night. There is hope here. 1 Peter 5.10, And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered just a little while, he himself will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. This is God's word. It is his promise to us. Philippians 1.6, Being confident of this that he who has begun a good work in you, that he who has begun a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope in the world, and he can be the hope of your world if you will allow him. If you're in a place here this morning where you have stopped struggling on the grief journey because you find yourself in a place where all hope is gone, where it feels completely empty, when you're grieving in a place with no hope, you're in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place. It's a place that you actually need to pull yourself out from or allow an expert to come and help to pull you out of. If you're not sure how to do this, I would urge you this morning, please tell someone. Please be brave enough to tell someone. John, can you hand me this? My dad-in-law, he's an expert counsellor. He's dealt with many people who are suicidal before, and he explains it like this, that when you're suicidal, it's like looking through a funnel, through the small end. So this is your view. It feels like you're looking through this small end of the tunnel, and it's a tiny, tiny worldview. It feels like you've got no way out, like everything's caving in like your family and friends would be better off without you. It's not true. It's a small, small view. Let me try and look through that. I can't even see anybody. It's just dark, honestly. It just looks dark when you look through it. You know, Dr. Caroline Leaf, she actually talks about this, about when we're upset, can you take that? That's really annoying. Thank you. She talks about this, that when we're upset, we actually lose about 70% of our cognitive thinking. You're not seeing things clearly. If you're in this place, you don't actually have a clear picture of what is going on. If this is you and you struggle with this, you have to understand, number one, that you are not seeing the full picture. I want you to know you're loved. You are precious to God, and there is hope. There is hope. Ending your life does not end pain. It just gives it to all of your family and your friends. Come on this journey, think this through with me a little bit. It's like being in a house, your house, 
and there's an intruder that comes to the door and he's dressed in black in the balaclava with all sorts of horrible instruments of you know, torture to inflict on your family. This is like you standing at that door, wrestling out these things in your mind and contemplating opening up the door and just welcoming them on in. They will be there to inflict the worst kind of pain on your family and your loved ones, your daughter, your wife, your partner, your parents. The Bible says that the enemy comes to kill, to steal and to destroy. Don't, Don't let him in. They will not be better off if you do this. They will not be better off if you do this. And if you go through with that, you don't end anything. You wake up. It doesn't just stop because you say it stops. If anything, I hope that we've established we don't actually have that kind of authority. You will wake up. Death is just an event that happens on your line. Your line starts here, it's over there, and here's your death. It just keeps going, and then you will have no control over what happens next. I'll tell you this, you will stand before Jesus. You know, the guy who is your saviour, who came to the world, had a brutal death so that we could live. Jesus hates death. It's the exact opposite of everything that he came to do and establish. He actually came so that we could have life and life more abundantly. Don't do this. You'll be playing Russian roulette with eternity. Yeah, in scripture, it says that I lay before you life and death. And he knows sometimes we don't get it, so he gave us the answer. He said, and choose life. (laughs) Choose life. Choose life.